Hello, and thank you for joining us on another episode of Why Theory. As always, I am your host, Ryan Engley, joined, as always, by co-host Todd McGowan. Todd, how you doing, buddy? Hi, Ryan. Great to talk to you today. Yes, it is great. And today we are closing our uh, little series on... Our uh, real. Yes, our triptych. That's right. Uh, on real symbolic imaginary. And... Um, we're going to do something we've never done before on uh, on on Y theory. We've done the we've done the um, the Lacan uh, essay uh, sing along in the mirror stage uh, e- uh, episode, which has relevance to this one. But we're going to do a draw along uh, later. So if people are at home uh, listening to this and you have like pen and paper uh, ready, you, sh- you should have it. I'll 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 let you know later when when you should have that at the ready. But this will be a totally thrilling. 4D experience, right, Todd? That's, that's, that's yeah, a it's like smellorama or something. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's right. On the level of that, I think. <laughs> so uh, we're excited to do that. But um, so as I as I sort of hinted at already, so um, imaginary uh, is probably the um, it's not not only I think the most well known. We saw this uh, a number of times of of Lacan's three orders. Um, it dominated. Uh, in like theory and philosophy for a, a long period, like late sixties into the eighties. Um, and we're going to talk a little bit about that influence. It might as well, it, it, it's probably arguable to say that like the imaginary was psychoanalysis, at least um, Lacanian psychoanalysis. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and of course it's, it's like, it's theoretical application, uh, more, more specifically for, for a while. Um, and it is also uh, one that I think that we spent the most time uh, previously on the podcast in uh, particularly in our mirror stage um, episode, which um, is we're going to try not to do too much with mirror stage in this because we don't want to uh, double dip. But it's it's hard to get around uh, that essay as as maybe being like the jumping off point for this. So like like let's just do like a, a recap of that and like the the idea of the imaginary, which I think um, easy to, easy to get into. And it's, uh, implications are, are, are wide. Right. Yeah. My opening sort of statement on this. Right. I think that's true. And I think, so for Lacan, the ego is a bodily ego and an an, an image and imago, right? So that's, Mm -hmm. that's what he gets from mirror stage. And I think he's the first one to say that. And I think the linking of ego with imaginary, which happens in the mirror stage. What's interesting about that, and I think this is a thing to think about with imaginary as a concept, is that he means it in both senses, right? He both, he both means it's an image that you look at mm. and it's imaginary, like, illusory. So right. that's the double aspect that I think that this this idea of imaginary has that real and symbolic they don't have. They have just one signification, I think. I mean, real you can think of it wrongly as reality, but I think mm-hmm. if you think mm-hmm. of the concept rightly, it just has the single signification, whereas imaginary thought of rightly has this double signification, and I think that's really important, that it's a, it, it both is what we see and what misleads us, and that's the idea of the mirror stage is that the body is in fragments, right, and then you look mm-hmm. in the mirror and you see a whole body that you believe through the look that you have mastery over, so this illusion of mastery is crucial for understanding the mirror stage. You almost could say the mirror stage is always the illusion of mastery precisely because it's tied to the image and what we're looking at our eyes have mastery over, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think that's, that's really wonderfully put. And I, it, like, don't you think like the, like the film image that, that gets at 
what Lacan is talking about and like this double sense of both image and uh, like illusion of mastery. And I'm also underline illusion is lady from Shanghai. In absolutely. The, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. In the fun house where, where yeah, you people, yeah. their image projected infinitely like this, this Im- it's, and it's also, it's just really, really nice too, that like you have this tight controlled space that goes on infinitely. That is itself the illusion. Right. And, uh, but we have this, the image of both, um, uh, Wells and I'm, is that Rita Hayworth? Hayworth. Rita, right. Rita Hayworth. And yeah. And I, I, yeah. Yep. Yep. That's, I think that's the, like the film image, uh, par excellence of, of, uh, of the imaginary. Except and, and this, it this gets, idea. Aren't there, yeah. aren't there a couple, like toward the end of that sequence, right before, or right as the shots are being fired, you mm-hmm. get the, it gets fragmented, right? So, yeah, so yeah. it's, I think you're right. Initially, we get this mm-hmm. mise en beam in this clearly imaginary world. And mm-hmm. then once the shots are once just the, where they're getting ready to fire the guns, you get this, like Rita Hayworth is simultaneously on one side of Everett Sloan yeah. and the other. It's yeah. her face and her whole body. And, and it's this real, I think real in the sense yeah, that you know, very nice. <laughs> it like cuts up the image and, and the real shows us how the image, the completeness of the image is actually divided. And so I think that's a great example first of the, of the way imaginary functions and then how real relates to that ima- image by, by undermining it, by showing the cuts within yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah, it's um, impossible that Wells made that movie and didn't read Lacan. It's impossible. Impossible. Yeah. <laughs> I, agree. I agree. I agree. Yeah. Even yeah, though no, you couldn't it, read him at the time. It's no, I couldn't have read it at the time. Yeah, yeah. it's impossible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think, yeah. So that, and um, interestingly enough, um, I, Todd, just uh, another a, a plug because it's the Emmy season. Um, Watchmen uh, used that same scene. In a very interesting, very yeah, in a very really? excellent sequence. Yeah, 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 really excellent sequence. And like the so does uh, so does a very funny film, Manhattan Murder Mystery by, oh, by Woody man. Allen. It ends with the it ends behind the film. It's being screened, and so you see it, but from behind mm. that scene. That, so Lady from Shanghai is being screened. I almost, I mean, obviously, it's not as great as Kane, but it's certainly a close, right? It's amazing, kind of. Yeah, amazing it's, film. Oh, I mean, just that scene alone is like really fascinating to think about. But uh, yeah. so, uh, yeah, so that I think is uh, like a really, really nice um, introduction in the beginning of this episode that like when we think imaginary, you have to think image and uh, the illusion of mastery. And like, uh, as I pointed out in a, like a couple uh, episodes ago, um, the the grip that like our, like that the, the mirror image is how we look is so um, like culturally it's so pervasive culturally that like you know todd and i are all and many people are doing basically zoom university at different places and uh, like what zoom does is it reverses the way you look so you look the way you do and do in the mirror um and so and then for the other and that's for the way you can opt out of that i think you can yeah yeah you can click out of it but i think what's important what i what i like about it is that that's the default is that you look the way you look in the mirror and then you're flipped normally for the other person to 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 show how you how you look so the and again just to go back to the mirror stage essay like what we're looking at is it's a misrecognition that takes the place as a um as a cohesive totality uh, and, and that is, is, is important is that the misrecognition becomes this, like the, the, the image, this, this whole W H O L E image that obviates the fragments, the, the holes right. as I put out. Right. Uh, it's a great, say it. 
That's really well put, Ryan. I think that, and I, I love that idea of coherence tied to the imaginary. And it's tempting to say that any, any uh, time that you feel like you're experiencing a coherent world, that's the influence of the imaginary at work, mm. right? Like it's the, it's what gives us the sense of coherence. So coherence is always imaginary. And I love also when you said W-H-O-L-E, that I like to think of the relationship between imaginary and real just in that one mm-hmm. letter, right? Like the, yeah, the yeah, imaginary yeah. creates the sense of the whole, and then mm-hmm. the real is the whole within the image that that, that image is trying constantly, the imaginary is trying to cover over that hole or that cut. And, and it's, and it's trying to do that by creating a sense of coherence, even like the coherence of the body in the mirror stage, but also when you're just looking in everyday life, the coherence of the world, like you don't see the world as if you're watching a movie, maybe you do, but when you're just looking Mm -hmm. out on the regular world, you don't see the cuts, right? You don't see Mm -hmm. everything seems coherent. And that's the, the illusion of the imaginary. Yeah. And I mean, and that, I mean, you mentioned it even there. That's, I mean, this is why the, the imaginary order has such outsized influence in film theory for a long time is, is, is if you follow along with this idea, whenever one watches a movie, you are given slices of a whole world, like again, the, like our actual world, whole world, W H O L E that you take to be, uh, like, like the, the, like the real thing. And, and that's so like when, what a, and and I mean, this may be easier visually understood, but I I think it can still, you know, we can still do it in in podcast form is that like what, what a camera does is it takes a slice out of like the, the visual spectrum and it makes that the whole world. And just, you know, you have to be, when you watch a movie, you are given pieces and you have to take them as holes like W H O L E S like that's, that's the whole, I, I don't know, maybe the most fundamental um, like magic of, of the cinema is you get a, you get a part and you see, and you, you interpret it as a whole and you have to do that for it to work. I like, I want to underline, like it doesn't make you, you know, you're not an ideological that, dupe because you do that. Right. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And it doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't make you cool to like, to watch a movie <laughs> with someone and always be like, yeah, but what are, aren't we seeing in this? Where are all the key grips? Why? Like, wh- this is just a lie that like the dumb, that's, that's not the, the, that's, that, that doesn't mean you can you somehow see farther than someone else. It's the, the point is that this, uh, imaginary relation is so, primary and dominant in the visual field that it has this because it starts with us as subjects it's foundational and formational for us as subjects that we practice the exact same relation with other images and and uh, particularly the like the moving image and this is you know why psychoanalytic film theory was just so so big for so long right right it's a great point i think you know you're right to talk about the what's missing in the when you cut from one scene to another scene, right? And you imagine mm-hmm. the whole world that's between. But isn't it interesting that it's even from one image to the next, right? Like yeah. the whole point of film is it's 24 frames a second, and yeah. and you're not you actually don't see or you I guess you perceptually are aware of this gap between, but you fill it in, and it's the yeah. imaginary precisely that fills in this gap that you don't even it you don't even recognize that you perceive it mm-hmm. it's just a flicker for you because 
that's the work that the imaginary does. Of course, there's a biological or physiological reaction at work, but Lacan's idea is that that's how, that's one way that the imaginary creates coherence, right? Instead of seeing mm-hmm. a series of images, we see one image, and it even works when you close your eyes, right? Like you close your eyes and you imagine the world's still going on while your eyes are closed. And I think, yeah, okay, we would all say, of course, that's what happens, but <laughs> in a way, I think that's the, that's the victory of the imaginary, or that's an imaginary way of thinking to think, oh, everything's just happening as it happens when I'm not looking. And I, I was thinking, my last, last point about this is I think, you know, this idea of cutting on action, when when you have one scene and a person starts to walk in a certain direction, and mm-hmm. then the, the film cuts, and then you see them sometimes far away, sometimes, you know, miles away, mm-hmm. and then they're finishing and they come out of the car, or they finish their walk, or whatever, and and you imagine that whole space between, mm-hmm. and you never, you know, that's the imaginary. You don't, you don't see it. It's not part present in the world, and yet you provide it. So it, that's what's interesting. So the imaginary is both what you actually see, and mm-hmm. it's what you fill in between what you see. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. And I I think it's it's isn't it so significant? This is this would be. Um, I, I think maybe like Lacan would argue again for like how, how primary this is, is that when you like introduce a child to like film or television and you have to explain things to them, no one ever explains shot reverse shot. That's never a thing that you sit down to a kid in your, in, or, or like cuts and you're like, okay, listen, when you watch this, it's going to cut away at, and it, but it's still happening. Right. So you, you have to, so you have to imagine that there's a, co- that you know, no one ever has that explained to them that Although, like, like you, Ryan, come to un- you come to understand, you come that. to yeah. understand it, but you, yeah. but it's interesting because the first spectators of cinema mm. kind of did have to have it explained. Well, them, right? of course, as right. a new, yeah. So that's, I think, I think what I would, what, what I would argue is like, absolutely a hundred percent like cuts had to, I mean, cause you look at the Lumiere brothers, like the first film is, is like, a kind of it, it's really more like a documentary of like a reality and right, there aren't right. there aren't cuts so like yes for spectators of course had but, to have but, it but, but, but I it's still become such no yeah right, yeah, I, right, I, yeah right. it's just such a part of how it's become so much a part that you don't have to explain it yeah, yeah i think that's yeah. right just because the world has lived yeah yeah mm-hmm. but it's the power i think what you're attesting to is the power of the imaginary and then i think you you know i i all I meant by the film thing was mm. that I think the first spectators had to be taught what to imagine in between. Like that's what Griffith mm. basically his pro- other than you know, like other than the advancing the interests yeah. of the Ku Klux Klan, right? Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. like in addition to that, <laughs> he was trying to 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 teach spectators to imagine that things are still happening when mm. they're when you're not seeing that image on the screen, and even you know, he didn't have a total sense of it. Yeah. It's it's interesting because so um, I, I think there's a there's a really interesting book that um, is kind of about this but which just doesn't mention psychoanalysis at all. Um, but, but understanding comics by Scott McCloud, like he's he's um, I guess sort of I would say famous for talking about the um, like the gutter and like the space in between frames as like uh-huh. that's that's where your imagination makes a makes a coherence between them. And I I think what what he did w- without it being psychoanalysis was was to bring the notion of the imaginary to the study of comics but what is really interesting in like in his study he does a historical study in like how old like 
the like comics as form is and like the um like there were like word bubbles in and like uh in the like the middle ages basically like it's it's very very old so this like cut between like between frames uh it's i i i don't i wonder i i, I don't know if he i don't i I'm trying, I'm trying to remember now if he, if he takes this up because there are, um, there are like old, old, like, um, drawings of like, of scenes on like, like 55, like accordion folded, like pages that was on deerskin. Like it's like very old, like, like indigenous right. kind of drawing. And right. they're, they're like Greek columns, right. That go up and tell a story like, like round and round and round. But what's important I think about those is that they are unbroken, and so I don't know when in comics the the, the break comes in, um, like it does for for the film. Cut. But I right yeah exactly. Yeah. But it's it's very but it's it's interesting that the there this other visual um, like art form was like kind of like evolving at the same time. And and um, I wish that I either remembered the book a little bit better or or knew my comics history a little bit more to to to, to know show when like, that happened. Yeah. yeah, like like why was the the like did the like is it the the move like the the moving image, um like the imaginary in the moving image, uh and the imaginary in the still image that is still like you know progressing through time as it moves through space on a page, uh that that. I don't know. People had to be had had to be taught that a little bit because in those older, just in this, even McLeod does, even in those older forms where it's still arguably comics, it's it tries to be unbroken, right. and it's the the cut is really this like this this revelatory thing in the development of visual like storytelling, and it's so it's so big that it is I think a primary way in the way that we think. Right. You know, I, and like, I agree yeah. with that. I think we think in cuts. I think that's true. Yeah. And I, I, you know, it's interesting because so, so Rick Boothby and Freud is philosopher, this, the, the great book that I, I refer to, you refer to all the time. Um, mm -hmm. He says that the difference between imaginary and symbolic aligns with the difference between the perceptual and the non-perceptual. And I think, mm -hmm. I'm not sure, I, I think in general, that's a good way to think about it. Mm -hmm. But I think what we're talking about shows that that's not really totally true, right? Because yeah. The imaginary actually is also what fills in those gaps, yeah, which yeah. are not perceived, and and so it. I think it. I think that's you have to. That's not symbolic. Like that is the that is the function of the imaginary. But I think what Rick's getting at is that the symbolic is the place from which you see, and then mm -hmm. the imaginary is the field that you see. The problem with that definition is that I think the imaginary is also what fills in the gaps that you don't see, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think that's really, really nice. So, like, to make this split between imaginary and symbolic is that you know, symbolic is, as you just said, where you see from, and then yeah. imaginary, what you see, and in our, like, you know, argument here, and, I mean, this isn't ours, this is Lacan's point, it's also what you don't see. Right. And, 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 right. and how, I, or maybe, to phrase it this way, how what you don't see becomes what you see. Right. Exactly. Exactly. That you, that what you, the way in which what you don't see helps to form mm -hmm. that perceptual world that you do see. Right. Mm -hmm. And then, and, mm -hmm. and helps to make that world coherent. I think that's the key thing, right? Yeah. Like it's, it's, that world is so incoherent. Mm -hmm. And then the imaginary has this function of, of 
coherentizing it, right? Like that's its, and yeah, it does yeah. that, but with the, what what is not seen, with the absence. So it doesn't. But I think what Rick's getting at it, it doesn't reflect back on the position from which you see, right? Like imaginary mm-hmm. is not self-reflection. It's yeah. it's more filling in the gaps of the perceptual field, I think, and not and not this reflective look back on yourself. Yeah, I mean, and that was the. I mean, that that was certainly one of the big. Uh, topics right in the 70s and film theory i mean we, we could maybe even like go to that 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 history like laura mulvey's visual pleasure in the narrative uh in, in narrative cinema like the the imaginary lens from which she is talking about the the screen is that it is a mirror right and uh the you know i mean it's not in some ways it's not like like the, the i don't know seminar 11 wasn't available in translation or even in French. So I, I, I right. kind of and she read feel, French though. So yeah, yeah, yeah. So like yeah. Uh, in some but ways, it, but, not her, but it's not her fault necessarily, but it's also the influence, it's the time, right? Like all yeah, of the yeah. thinkers who thought about cinema were all focused on the imaginers. So Jean-Louis Baudry, mm-hmm. Christian Metz, Raymond Ballour, they're mm-hmm. all all influenced by Althusser, I think ultimately. Mm. So Althusser's line is something like, uh, that ideology is a representation of the imaginary relationship of individuals to their real conditions of existence. So he's got both. It's interesting. You think yeah. of ideology in terms of symbolic, and that's the one register he doesn't mention when he defines <laughs> yeah, ideology, right? right? So yeah, that's really yeah, yeah. interesting that he thinks of ideology as an imaginary misrecognition and yeah. and of of something real. So... I mean, I think his use of real there is dubious, but I think he means what I think he identifies Lacanian real with what Marxism thinks is the real of history. So mm-hmm. um, but anyway, so I think that that's, you know, I think that's in the air. Right. Like that's yeah. just what you were breathing is this until basically until Joan Kopchak. Right. Like that's what yeah. her and Raymond Ballour even I, I, I think we've talked about this maybe, but. Raymond, she sent me this this letter that Raymond Buller wrote to her. They, he was supposed to respond to a to an intervention of hers at this conference in France, and and he writes this letter saying, "I'm not going to respond because what she did was just totally outside of the bounds of any psychoanalytic way of thinking." And what she did was say what we what you were hinting at earlier that it's not that the screen is a mirror, but the mirror is a screen, right? And that yeah. and so focusing on the real. Mm-hmm. Rather than the imaginary, that was her heresy, and which made Balour go berserk. But mm-hmm. it's but it's sort of understandable. I mean, it's misogynist, I think, and all other kinds of problems. Yeah. But but I do think it's understandable because that was so much just in the air, and I think that's what you're getting at with Mulvey. Yeah, definitely. In in yeah, it's it's hard. I think um, at least in I mean this this is one one of these things. Like so, I'll hear. I, um, it's it's really interesting to hear from like uh, listeners in uh, in Europe and uh, like you know New Zealand, Australia, and like other places where like um, about some of the the like it's it's hard it's hard to underline that in America this like um, this thing with the where psychoanalytic film theory was aligned with with the imaginary and then was like kicked out of America, but with, right, with, right. with post theory and the intervention with extreme prejudice with I extreme thought that's what prejudice. You're going to say. <laughs> yeah. Right. Right. With extreme yeah. prejudice. And, but the intervention of, you know, uh, the, 
like reformulating, I say reformulating, but it's really like, like reading properly the notion of the gaze, like through the real, which is what like Joan and, uh, and, and Slavoj Zizek and like, you know, a whole host of other people did like that, that took root more in Europe and, and, you know, uh, again, New Zealand, Australia. And then it did like, it really, it, it didn't, it didn't happen in America. Like the, the, right. like, like, Oh, it, w- it was really this thing that's like, Oh, we can kick some French thought out of, out of this country. That's dope. Let's do that. That was like kind of the attitude here in the, in the mid to late nineties. And, and we talked about it before too. Like, like another part of it is the, um, Alan Sokol, like, um, hoax, uh, article that was this like, teardown of, of deconstruction of Lacan. And, and Lacan, Lacan and, and right. Derrida and, and right. Julia Kristeva, like, you know, another psychoanalytic thinker, right, like, right, like, right. The, like these people named specifically, um, for their alleged crimes of using math, uh, I think is what one, I think that was it. Things. Yeah. 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 Mo- mostly. Um, but so anyway, but it was like, so the, the heights of which for psychoanalytic film theory in, um, in, in, in America, like never to be topped. And it was built on this understanding of, of the imaginary and as like, and I think what Mulvey takes from what Lacan writes and also from Freud and like scopophilia and like the pleasure in and looking um, is there are just a couple problems. It's like one, like, She's totally right to say that like a bit, like cinema is misogynistic. I, I don't think that's the, that's absolutely not a problem with what she's right. written. Right. The the errors are that like Freud does not say that like you can master the visual field, and certainly Lacan does not say that either. Right. And it it's the and that's what's in why we've been emphasizing this. It's the illusory mastery over one's right. image. And that's what's in the imaginary. But that isn't what took hold of the public imagination. What took hold was that you master this mirrored subject. And that became really, really big, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think you can... You know, I wonder... I think we should talk about that a little bit in detail. But I I, I wonder... This is maybe too tangential. But I, I, I wonder if it's because the that we do have this illusion of mastery through the visual field in our everyday lives, right? And so I think there was this kind of translation of everyday life into the cinema without recognizing the way that cinema has cuts, right? Like that cinema is all the time actually disturbing what Mm. is our our mastery outside the cinema. So, So even films that were sexist they still like hitchcock films right like they're obviously mm-hmm. sexist but mm-hmm. but even those films they're all about the way in which the man's look is disrupted right like yeah. like yeah. so even though even though outside the cinema you wouldn't want to have hitchcock be your spokesperson for feminism like in the <laughs> cinema he's mm-hmm. actually like if you look at rear window like it's a it's a kind of or vertigo like they're 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 brutal takedowns of the way in which the the man's attempted imaginary mastery of the woman just falls apart, right? Like that, and so yeah. he he sees the way in which that mastery is just illusory. So there's a there's a way in which the cinematic art, and I think this is I think it's important to think of the art. Like the art actually knows more than mm. the person knows as a normal human being out in the real world, right? And I think that yeah. was maybe one of the problems of that whole way of approaching film was that it took how we how we 
existed in the in reality outside the cinema, and it just translated that exactly into the cinema, and then it imagined there was a kind of mastery there that there just wasn't. Well, I mean, I think that the other part of the problem is that, like, in invoking psychoanalysis, it, it also kind of refuses like Mulvey's uh, essay and, and it's, it's, again, it's not just her and, and it's, it, this like, which just became very, very big, but like it imagines the unconscious as almost having this singular misogynistic intention and also it's success as mastery. Like that, that I think is, is maybe also at work is that for something to be writing about psychoanalysis, it, 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 there's not a, um, there's not a notion of like the unconscious, you know, subverting, right. um, you know, conscious will it's, it right. all seems to kind of be like it pushing in, in the same direction. Right. Right. It's, it's right. all pushing in the, in the direction of misogyny, which again, like, you know, th- I think your point is really nice is that like, um, it, and I mean, I don't know, it is all concretized in, in like, like rear window is that like that, that's, it's very, very hard to buy the argument that that film is, uh, castrates the female subject when it's about a castrated male subject. And the only reason why the movie happens is because of like women. Right. Like, right. Doing she's anything. able to go out and act in the world. And then, yeah. and then when she does, she goes, becomes part of his fantasy and the film is clearly exposing mm-hmm. them. Right. So yeah, it's, yeah, 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 mm-hmm. yeah. I think that's, a, I think that's a really good point. And I think, you know, uh, I think it's just really hard to that that idea of yours that I think it's such a good point that that the the unconscious and consciousness are always at odds with each other yeah, or at least yeah. their relationship is complicated yes and yeah. and and you're right that this critique this psychoanalytic critique of cinema for its sexism it's mm-hmm. it, it lo- lines those up too perfectly like I think yeah. it has to be the unco- like you can even set out to make a sexist film and you'll <laughs> undermine yourself I mean of course some of it'll still be in there yeah but I yeah. think you'll also undermine itself so it's interesting I guess the problem was the unconscious is the bad guy in this yeah, yeah. in this and I think it's it's much more ambivalent than that yeah I mean it's I, I think that yeah, that's I think that's interesting. How if the, for a whole period of of um, very like very prominent um, like theoretical work that the um, the the unconscious goes uh, like away a little bit in the like w- would you say that even is that work in um, in Metz in the imaginary signifier? Yeah, 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 yeah. I think that's true. Like, there's no. I mean, he talks about the way that cinema. You know, your unconscious is 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 heightened because it's almost like a dream uh, mm-hmm. state when you're at the cinema, at the cinema. But, but really, I don't know if there's a un, any understanding of unconscious proper, right? Like, there's mm-hmm. no, there's no none of those theorists from Baudry to Metz to Mulvey, none of them think about the way in which the unconscious is trying to undermine. Mm-hmm. subjectivity which seems to me yeah, to be the yeah. whole that's the whole theory of the unconscious is about that so yeah so you know so you can try like filmmakers can try to do things consciously but certainly film as an art is invokes their unconscious and also that of the spectator right like so yeah. like you know even even i wonder even about fear of castration right? like mm-hmm. like that's what i i wonder if that's you know like is that even, I don't know, like it's almost like there's a, in, 
for the cinema spectator, there's a kind of desire to sustain castration, not a mm-hmm. not an attempt to get over it or to create this imaginary mastery of it. And I think maybe that's what we're getting at is that the fundamental impulse of the subject is not an imaginary one. That it's not yeah. it's not that this the imaginary is at work, obviously, mm-hmm. but this idea of imaginary mastery is not we can't you know, that's not the that's not the basement level. Mm. I, I mean, I don't want to do a depth model, but that's not the that's not the final <laughs> right. floor. I can't get out yeah. of it. Of that's not the final floor of it's subjectivity. Not the, not the, the <laughs> sub basement. Oh wait, no, that's the. <laughs> yeah, but you get yeah. my point. That, that you can't you 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 know you can't say because the whole point is imaginary. You can almost I almost think this is interesting. I think about Lacan's register. You can almost make the imaginary conscious, right? Yeah. Unlike. Unlike the real, right? The the whole point of the real is you can't just make it conscious. But I yeah. think that imaginary, there's nothing in it that's so disturbing that you couldn't make it conscious. Or there's nothing that goes against the grain of your subjectivity that you couldn't make it conscious. Well, because it has such a role in founding it, you know, in the way that he talks about it. Yeah, uh, or, or the way that he formulates it specifically in the mirror, in the mirror stage, that of, of course it, it wouldn't go against. And I mean, maybe maybe that's where, uh, um, and I'm mean, not maybe that's that's where where Mulvey's like idea comes from is that like there is, like you you know you get ready. It, it's kind of, it's kind of again. I mean, the reason why we're hitting this is just that the unconscious can't go away when we, when we think about this, because the, the, the imaginary is not this, like you get in front of the mirror, you get your hair looking right. You, you know, like, like I, like I trim, I trim my beard every morning with scissors and it's like, yeah, I have total mastery of this visual field. That's boxed off. That's I'm done now. And like, then that, and, 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 and like, that's it. Like there's the, it's not, I guess the, the point is that it's not that, that like that simple relation of, I, I'll put it this way, of engaging in that mastery, right? It's the, right. it's the, the entire thing is propped up by this investment in the illusion of mastery. And that's the really, really, really important thing is that the, the imaginary isn't, and I'll just like, just say it again. So I, I may sound like I'm saying the same thing twice, but I think it's important to, to, to nail down is that what, I think is going on with the very like like the prominent and influential like psychoanalytic film theory in the in the seventies and into the eighties is it's the the notion that the film spectator and by extension the like the subject engages in the mastery that like the imaginary promises right. when really it's what w- when we talk about the imaginary we're talking about an investment in the illusion of mastery over the image which cannot be sustained and right. it, it is it is it is again it is it is it is putting a a a hole w-h-o-l-e over a hole h-o-l-e like that's right. that is that that's what's and it, you can't ignore the holes you cannot ignore the 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 gaps the fissures the you know the sejora in the image in favor of the investment in the illusory gesture of mastering it like if right. you yeah, if you forget to do that is to forget nothing less than the unconscious. Like that, that right? Because that, it, yeah. and also it constantly collapses. Right? Like that's yeah. the point. That yeah. seems to me the crucial point, not just in cinema but in everyday life. Like you have this imaginary mastery because it's imaginary. It's constantly undermined. You're constantly having these real ruptures that the imaginary can't 
arrest. Don't you think it's mm-hmm. interesting that? So we've talked a lot about that they've been kind of our villains today, the psychoanalytic <laughs> theory of the 60s and 70s. But yeah. do you think it's interesting that Slavoj basically and, and, the, and, the, and the following of, of the theorists following him, mm-hmm. he basically doesn't think about the imaginary at all, right? Like for yeah, him, yeah. it's basically the symbolic, there's ruptures within the symbolic, that's where mm-hmm. the real is. And yep. okay, like the imaginary maybe plays a role, but he he really I don't think it's really a main concern of his at all, mm-hmm, which is mm-hmm. an interesting contrast to what came. I mean, maybe it part of it is because of yeah. the contrast to what came before, and also that he's trying to. I mean, he really there's this whole Altasarian doxa I think that mm-hmm. is part of what his theory of ideology is fighting against, and mm-hmm. you know his theory of ideology doesn't mention imaginary at all, whereas Altasar's makes it central. So I, I maybe that's it's it's in reaction, but it's it's interesting that neither Slavoj nor a lot of the theorists that we're friendly with mm-hmm. talk about imaginary at all, right? Like it's not uncommon yeah. to read a whole book of of a, and, and and never get the concept of imaginary, a psychoanalytic book. Yeah, I I agree. I mean, I think that it's I think it's probably for the reasons that like again, like largely in in America, like the imaginary register was successfully toxified by a, a lot of people, and I think um, there probably is this like knee jerk that like if I mention imaginary, people will see that and it will be their the referent will be Christian Metz, right, or 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 what happened in the seventies. So I'm not even going to do that at all, and or it might even be also that like people played around in this pool and they got like what they got out of it. And also like, it's just like a complete abandonment of it. Like there's like, there's nothing new to take from it. And I, and I think that, I I don't know, at least I hope that we're trying to show that like there, there is, there is, I I think a, a rich reward to think about the imaginary in some of the terms that we've been trying to do it, which is like, if you think of it to go back to Rick Boothby, if you think about the imaginary as uh, perceptual, and then you add to it our like our like again our addition. It's what you it's what you see, and then how what you don't see becomes what you see. I think that's pretty good. There's, I think there's a lot of like, like you know a political of, just off the top of my head like interventions that can be made based on that same idea. I also think it helps with the relationship between the imaginary and the symbolic because as Rick said, if it's non-perceptual, it goes a little bit back to what we were talking about in the previous episode. I kept saying the symbolic is the like trying to see the air that also makes it non-perceptual. But there's a difference between the non-perceptual of the symbolic and the non-perceptual that ends up becoming what you see in the imaginary. I absolutely. Think. Like, yeah, and, and, absolutely. And, and, and that, and when, when one abandons the imaginary register, I think you, like you kind of lose out on those rewards and, and, and that working through of you know, what is happening in either subjective formation or just the subject relation in the, in the, in the symbolic. I absolutely agree with that. I think it's such a great point. And I think, you know, I'm guilty of this too, because I, I almost never mention imaginary. So I, I sort of, <laughs> as you're speaking, I was sort of lacerating my arm as a, as a punishment. Good. But <laughs> 20, 20 more lashes. And then I'll Todd. be, then I'll be, I'll have 
they'll be expiated. Um, okay. But no, I, I think that, I, you know, it's interesting. I want to think a little bit about how Lacan comes to it because I think, mm-hmm. you know, it's a lot of people, if they divide his career up, it's the imaginary first, then the symbolic, mm-hmm. then the real. And then when people think about subjectivity, we've talked about this so many times, we don't probably need to mention again, but the way in which people think first you're in the imaginary, then you go yeah, through yeah, the yeah. imaginary, mm-hmm. enter the symbolic. Of course, that is not true. Lacan's yeah. point is that the imaginary, he says this in Seminar 2, is hooked on the symbolic from the beginning. Mm-hmm. So that's that's absolutely not true. And I think that that is part of actually this kind of psychoanalysis that we're criticizing, that they were mm-hmm. really exponents of that idea that first you start with the imaginary, then you get to the symbolic. And I think that's just a, a real just a total misreading and a misunderstanding of how subjectivity works and the entrance mm-hmm. into subjectivity and, and all that. But but I think what's interesting is that Lacan formulated this idea of the imaginary in the face of this philosophical moment in France where phenomenology was focused totally on the visual field and mm-hmm. how we perceived. So Maurice Merleau-Ponty was, you know, his his books were like, the phenomenology of perception or the mm-hmm. visible and the invisible. He's totally obsessed with our perceptual universe, and he thinks that is the key to our subjectivity. Lacan mm-hmm. was very critical of that. So, And then and then Sartre, too, like it's how the visual field functions for Sartre that really helps to form us as subjects. And neither of them think about the way in which we're situated symbolically relative to what we perceive. So this is, it's interesting that Lacan sort of aligns himself on the side of Levi-Strauss and mm-hmm. and structuralism and because he's thinking about the symbolic. And then mm-hmm. he uses the imaginary, I almost think, as a category for critiquing. I mean, it's interesting in the Mirror Stage essay, the one thinker philosopher he mentions is Sartre, is right? Sartre, so, yeah. mm-hmm. so I think it's his way of critiquing those thinkers that are so focused on the visual and perceptual field to the exclusion of the symbolic coordinates of the subject. Yeah, no, it's, that's, that's very, very nice to think, to think through that, um, that relation. It's, I mean, this is also why, like I, um, well, we probably have to do another episode on this. This is one of your, one of your things, um, that I, that I try to be an exponent of is that, um, post-structuralism is an American categorization and, and does not, exist it doesn't exist uh, yeah. yeah yeah and that that's what's uh, one of one of your takes so we probably have to do an episode on that but um what you just said is is part of why like i i think it's that lacan often gets misaligned uh as, as part of uh, post-structuralism and really he is he is a structuralist of the real as i like to say like yeah. and 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 that is um his way of, um, I think is his way of thinking relation, which, which only heightens, I think throughout, throughout his career. Um, and, and like how, like how either like the three orders work, um, and how, you know, the like subjects have a, like a, a, a fundamental non-relation between each other that has to be worked through. And that that is like the, the basis of, uh, of of all relation is this like this non relation and what's the status of that right, and that right. and that Great seems point. yeah like that that seems like it's post structuralist right because I mean that's not something that Levi Strauss would have said so right. that definitely you know but it's, no famously there's no subject in Levi Strauss yeah right. That's right, right, nice. right right yeah 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 so it so that's that's certainly post it's certainly post Levi Strauss but it's still I think important to to uh, to to hold on to the the notion of of structure and. 
with that as a as a bit of an intro, I think it's time for drawing, Todd McGowan. Okay, okay. And let's look at let's look at how this 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 structure works. So because this is our last of the real symbolic imaginary, um, and we're just talking about structure. Uh, so you have a uh, a classroom board uh, schematic for the relation between these orders. Now, for the purposes of this, uh, we're going to have to um, exclude drawing how the orders are also in each other because that it would become nonsensical. So right, we're just gonna, right. we're going to park that to one side. We're going to treat them as separate, right? As separate for the purpose for pedagogical purposes like really only. Um, right. but, uh, but yeah, so I think, I think this will, this will work. So I'm, uh, listeners will hear me like shuffling papers. So I'm going to have this in front of, that's uh, not an audio effect. That you, you no. <laughs> yeah. That'd be Can really I tell funny. you something funny? So yeah. I, I've been recording these lectures, you know, for, cause mm-hmm. it's, everything's online. And so mm-hmm. I, I always have a joke at some, at least one somewhere in, you know, and I, mm-hmm. I was, I was, I was doing marks and I like my marks joke. So I'm going to tell it, and then I'm going to, and then I'm going to tell you what I did. <laughs> okay. So, so, did you? So, all right. Okay. Never mind. Yeah. Let's go. <laughs> anyway, so so Marx is taking a class with Hegel on mm-hmm. philosophy, right? And and he he every time every class period, thirty minutes in, he gets up and he's at the University of Berlin. He gets up and leaves. Okay. And it's and, and finally after a week of this, Hegel comes to Marx, otherwise his best student, <laughs> and he says, "What's the deal? Why are you? Why do you keep leaving like that?" And Marx goes, you know, I'm sorry about that, but this university, University of Berlin, it's a bourgeois university, and they scheduled another class. I have a literature class halfway through your class, and so I have to get up and go to it. Hmm. And Marx then says to Hegel, he's like, that's the problem with the bourgeois university. They don't believe in class conflict. Uh, <laughs> so, so I can't I have believe this. the the links you went to get to that punchline is really excellent. That's very funny. To me. The problem is I, I I shortened it quite a bit for my. Uh, of course, let me just clarify. Marx was thirteen when Hegel died. He never had him uh, as a professor. Sure. Uh, but uh, but I thought that was pretty funny. But but that's really I, good. It's really good backwards design. Uh, right, 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 yeah. right, right. On, on a joke. So so I put. I put a, I found online a laugh track, and so I included, after uh-huh. I told the joke, I included like seven <laughs> seconds of laughter. So I was really proud of myself for that. Uh, nice. But then I thought, should I repeat that? And every time I tell a joke, include, but then I thought, no, I'll just do it. Though. No, it's too much. You should, you should try to, you know, I'll try to find you a, like a, like a rim shot. Yeah, that'd be good. Like a yeah, rim shot would do it. Yeah, I could actually probably record one myself. I think I have drums here. Anyway, you should uh, ask one of you should ask one of your kids to just give the give the old uh, Ed McMahon hi oh You know, you should do one of that. Like that'd be pretty good. <laughs> that'd be pretty good. I should record this. Record them laughing. That would work. Anyway, so we have a straight line across, right? So that's how. Oh, oh everyone, everyone, you start with a straight line across. Straight line across, and then you have a little gap within it, right? So okay. a series of gaps, right? So I can put them anywhere I want? Put them anywhere was, you if, want. All right, okay. Put them anywhere you want. And then, I think I've modified this since I talked to you. So, mm-hmm. so and then over the gaps, put a little, mm-hmm. put a little upward half circle that connects okay. the gaps. So to make the line full, but with yeah. these little circles in it, okay. right? So yeah. my idea is that this is a very, I think this is, everyone would accept this, that is 
psychoanalytically informed. So, I know, reject it. Sorry. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Someone once said to me, you have to stop using psychoanalysis to mean just your kind of looking. And I'm like, why? Every, doesn't everybody do that? Anyway. Um, yeah. <laughs> so so the, the, the spaces would, so the line is the symbolic structure, right? Okay. The spaces would be the gaps of the real. And then mm-hmm. the imaginary is this, this coherence created by those half circles that connect the line together. So the imaginary creates a sense that the symbolic world is whole mm-hmm. and doesn't have any real fissures within it. So the relationship between real and imaginary is, you might even say that the imaginary is what creates the repression of the real, I think. Mm, nice. nice. Okay. I'm writing this out, yeah. Okay. Um, you know what would be really funny is... Uh, I thought I actually thought about that. well I'm just going to say this so we're not going to do it but um I thought it'd be really funny if we include like we in the show notes included like like your copy of this but it was actually just that um from the Big Lebowski that drawing of like the guy jacking off like that oh, yeah. put as, the, as that would, anyway but we're not going to do that cuz we're not going to do that no no, no, no just no, no, it. yeah no, okay no. very very nice okay um that, so imaginary creates, so could you tease that out a little bit? Like imaginary creating the repression of the real? Yeah, I just think that, the, so if there, if if we don't have this experience of lacunae or gaps or breaks within our symbolic structure every day, we don't, I think most people don't, then it's because of the way in which the imaginary creates this sense of coherence, right? Mm-hmm. So I think mm-hmm. that's the idea that that it fills in, it's constantly, it's, you might even say, I think, and I, I think this is why it gets associated with ideology, because the real task of the imaginary is to constantly fill in all these gaps of the real that we otherwise would experience and would traumatize us. So mm-hmm. it, it, I think there's a way in which imaginary is a way of avoiding trauma, but then it generates repression, and so there's a more mm-hmm. of a trauma attached to that. That's very, very nice. So like this is, I, I the, the reason why I wanted to, to, to kind of um, close or at least get to like in the, the final third or, or, or whatever of, of this episode of our, of our final third in this little series is just to see visually how the, the orders relate. And also I think even in this drawing, you can see that like as much as we said, you have like, we're imagining them as like separate for the purposes of this exercise. I mean, you can just see how they're like inextricably connected. Right. And, right, and, and, right. and you, you cannot you cannot have one operative without the other, like, right. or, you know, without the, or the other two, I should say. Right, which um, is interesting yeah. because doesn't that come to the what Lacan focuses on lamentably, in my view, <laughs> at the end of his life, right? This Bromian knot, right? Like that's the, 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 the whole idea of the Bromian knot is that it knots together imaginary, symbolic, and real. And so by fiddling with these knots, which Lacan would get up in front of the seminar and just, I was talking to Guy Legoffet about this. He just, mm-hmm. he just fiddle with knots part of, most of the time, you know, and it was maddening. But what's interesting is that knot, Guy doesn't have the same anti-knot view as I do, I should say. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess you had to be there, maybe. Is what the <laughs> idea is. Um, yeah. but, but, but once you, his idea was that the knot actually could articulate or expose or reveal or show the relationship between the three orders in Mm. a way that you couldn't do with language. So that's an interesting, I think that's wrong, but it's an interesting idea. (laughs) And then he had this crisis, Guy was telling me, because he thought 
for a while, he thought there's just one Borromean knot that articulates this really or reveals this relationship. And mm-hmm. then some guy comes and gives a guest lecture in the seminar and shows, no, they're actually different forms of the Borromean knot. And Lacan had a total panic because he thought, oh, no. <laughs> I've got the, I've, I've successfully got the relationship between them. And then mm-hmm. he comes to understand that the relationship can be different than I thought this, that it had to be through this, this one kind of knot. Well, I mean, isn't that... I, I know I know you're not the I will ask you to explain just a little briefly your um, aversion to, to this turn because I'm sure people are, are interested. But I like don't you think like that's like a little bit better that. Yeah. Like I, I think yeah. it's, I think it's a problem. I think it's a problem for um, Lacan to think that there is this one structure to the relationship that seems to be like, again, if it's founded on a not on, on a fundamental non-relation which like you know the formulas of sexuation is is one way of him formulating relation through non-relation right. um then to make it just be this one single structure i for all relation i would kind of think to be like that would be like against the project yeah in the in yeah. the first place yeah and i think that's right it, well because that, that like that's always like the thing that that i I mean, maybe this this even gets back to like notions of of universality and and like what I like a lot in in psychoanalysis, and I kind of wish that the, um, there th- this idea was like louder out there. I think like the 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 common notion is like that psychoanalysis reduces everything to sex. Sex is the answer to everything, right? right. Like you know, and, and, and it's all all that all that kind of thing, and and that's that's not true. Um, what psychoanalysis designates it does it, it also is not what you're going to find either it, it 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 looks at structures in in their commonality and in their um insistence but doesn't determine what the conclusion is after you find those things like just because we have like you know in even in, in what you laid out we have this structure of the uh, imaginary the real and symbolic and how they relate that tells you nothing about like aftermath and conclusion of anything it's just such a great point it's a structure such a great point sorry thank you no 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 i was just gonna say like it's just it's a it's a structure of relation as such it is not a determinative of relations is the is the point to me right 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 i think that's so i think that's so important to think about that it that even if you find even if lacan found the one structure he wouldn't find what would then determine the relations and i think yeah that's yeah. yeah, but I think you're hitting on what is a danger of all kinds of structuralism, right? And I think that's <laughs> yeah. I think people that recoil against it recoil against that idea. They think that if you once you have the structure, you know all the relations that will develop. Yeah. But I, I think that's I think what you're saying is absolutely true. And I think you know the danger is that certain structuralist thinkers that are influenced by structuralism forget that and and yeah. think that the structure. If I just get the structure, then I solve everything. Like. Have you ever read Elementary Structures of Kinship by Levi Strauss? Like he kind of mm. falls into that, you know. I mean, he's yeah, not yeah. really, but but he has all these like graphs of like this this person can marry this person and then this. <laughs> and so it's yeah. like once you have he thi- it seems like you read like the first two hundred pages of the book are just normal, and then mm-hmm. it, it gets into all these tables, and you're like, oh my god, this is incredible. And I think it's because he thinks oh, I have figured out the whole secret of of you know, exogamy in this society. And, and you're like, well, I, I think you're missing the point, which is what you just yeah. said, that the, the understanding the structure doesn't 
allow you to understand what's going to happen with the relation because the relation is always alive and active. Right, and that's the that is why I prefer the the structuralist of, of the real. Right. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. That, it's like, a great like, it's a great formulation. In fact, it, you know, if you ever wrote a book on Lacan, that would be a good <laughs> title for it. <laughs> oh, that's interesting. Yeah, maybe that'll be the. Oh, you know what, Todd? I'm actually I'm I think that might be the. All right, you're not. I know you're not going to cut this out, but this is a thing that should be cut out. I'm going to write this down. Yeah, <laughs> and, just write it um, down. So then when we now have an official record of it, so when people yeah, get your, is, where did he come up with that title for a book? And we'll know. So, well, yeah. I was during this conversation. So yeah. as I while I write this down to buy me time in our conversation, can you get into a little bit why you do not like this? Uh, the the bromian not turn. Yeah, I just think, yeah, yeah, you yeah, know yeah, it's yeah. the same with all the like the math. I don't have Sokol's objection to the math, but I just think a couple things like i think mm-hmm. this notion that if i can that math themes can be transmitted without any uh disruption i just mm-hmm. don't think that's true at all i think there there always has to be in fact i'm tempted to say there has to be even more transference to translate some idea through a math theme because you have to invest yourself in trying to understand it right so i think that's a big problem I think the knots, I don't know, I just feel like we're, I mean, like Lacan's whole point is that we're beings of language. And so mm-hmm. to think that a knot, like retreating from language to try to then ultimately explain all our relationships that are formed, that arise because we're struct- structured by language, like to think mm-hmm. that you have to have recourse to a knot to explain that, <coughs> excuse me, I don't, I just don't think that's right. I think, I just think you, it's a kind of retreat and a, and, a do, and desire for this deeper level of explanation that is at odds with everything that he thought prior to that. And I just hmm. the other thing is I think those seminars are just they're so hard to even find anything valuable in. You know, I just I think that you know. <laughs> Big so and shots. I, 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 all, I I wonder if it's and, and I think other people have said this. I wonder if yeah. he's just kind of losing his his mind. At, I mean, certainly mm. at the very end he is. So I don't well, know. So I, 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 I don't know. It. I think I would argue that I think you like the idea of the Santone. I would make I that I do claim. like that. Yeah, yeah, sure. Okay. Yeah, sure. I, I, sure. I think you think that's a good idea. And that's um, 23, so that's yeah. that's late. That's late in the 70s, yeah, yeah or mid-70s. Yeah. 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 Um, okay. Fair yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's Fair really enough. funny. Yeah. We'll, have to, we'll have to come. But, we'll have to come but you're not defending the knots. I notice. No, I'm not defending the knots. I well, uh, I think I would. I need to think about. I need to think about that a little bit more. I think it's um, like because I, I understand your point. Uh, I that as a as an image, I think it's useful. I also think it's a. I think it's useful in this. Um, it's also useful to distinguish the Lacan of the triadic from the Lacan of the quadratic, as Rick Boothby put it in, in the episode we did with him, um, where, you know, the Lacan of like the four discourses. And, and, and I, I think that. Well, the knot is certainly part of that quadratic, right? Like the, yeah. the whole point is that the knot is itself this fourth right element. Right. And I think that's a really interesting yeah, he. Yeah, that's. A, I love that. I mean, Rick has so many smart things that he says, and I think that's a, another one that's really, really good. And I think that you know, but maybe there's something lost in the turn to the to the quadratic. Okay, interesting. So you, that's so that's what you would think is that there's something uh, yeah, lost, I think not that, something gained. Yeah, I don't think there's no. I mean, sometimes you add things, you lose. Right? Well, like, that does happen. No, 
Yeah. It's nice. That's, that's nicely put. I just um, feel like yeah. I feel like there's a there's a great for me. I mean, we'll as we talk about the seminars and that un, forever never to be completed series of uh, <laughs> podcasts on the seminars. Um, for me, there's this great period from like seminar nine, right when Abhijay Ah gets invented, mm-hmm. through sixteen, which is from the other to another. And mm-hmm. I feel like that's just amazing. And then 17, I feel like with the introduction of the quadratic and the four discourses, I, I see the use, I guess, but mm-hmm. I, I don't, I kind of think it's, you know, it kind of reminds me of, of Badu's four truth procedures, you know, like mm-hmm. I just think to myself, why are there four? And then of course they're not four. There's the capitalist, <laughs> is the capitalist discourse a discourse or is it not? Right. Like, yeah, yeah, so, yeah. and I yeah. think the same thing with Badu, like is, is religion a truth procedure or is it not? And, and there's a whole problem with that. Right. So I feel mm-hmm. like, I don't know. I feel like that the, the move to the four, like the three is not, doesn't seem, I don't, Maybe this is silly, but the three doesn't seem <laughs> arbitrary to me. Like yeah, the three yeah, seems yeah. derived from the actual. Of course, it's not right. It has to, but it does seem to me derived from the actual structure. Whereas the four yeah. seems like this arbitrary imposition. So I feel like when he moves, introduces the fourth, it, it, there's something lost in his in his thought. Yeah. And I don't know. That's just no, my no, idea. No. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I mean, I think that. We, um, I mean, we've definitely been we've definitely been asked to do a four discourses thing. That'll be something to get into. I think, like, um, hot take spoiler. Um, um, the rel- the relation. I think you and I would both say this that the um, it, it it almost feels when you get into the four discourses that it's it's the relationship of the master, and then it's the same thing, and then it's the relationship and the. Uh, of, of the of the analyst because it, the, all, like three of the four discourses all seem to be a, a relationship with an external authority and right. then one is kind of a flip of that and I, and so I don't know if that's also part of what you're thinking that like that that maybe like if the that that even in the idea itself you think it's a little like excessive absolutely. in yeah. a in a redundant sort of way yeah yeah absolutely absolutely no idea about that but i you know just to get back to this imaginary and i think what we're saying talking actually reflects this move that look throughout his career the imaginary just like this move from 70s psychoanalytic theory to slavoj there's a disappearance of the imaginary. I think it's true in Lacan's own trajectory. Like I think mm-hmm. there is this real emphasis on it prior to the seminars, and then in the early seminars, there's still it's still definitely hanging around. I mean the 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 schema of the inverted bouquet is it mm-hmm. seems to me almost all about the imaginary. I mean there's the symbolic mirror, the plain mirror that's symbolic, or mm-hmm. is identified with the symbolic structure. But basically, and that if you that little schema, I think, is about the way in which the the imaginary focuses on what we see and what we fill in and what we see. Totally mm-hmm. about that. And then the symbolic is this point from which we see. So that's I think that's that's a good instance of of how of what Rick Boothby was talking about and what I've talked about too, about that relationship between symbolic as point from which you see and imaginary as what you're seeing or what you're not seeing. Uh, and then, and then it seems like he focuses much more on the relation between symbolic and real as he gets, mm-hmm. you know, even the seminar nine on identification, which is not translated and isn't even published in French. It's, 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 it's really all about identification as a symbolic and real process, not as an imaginary process. Mm-hmm. So there's a real movement away, and then, and then when he comes to the knots, he's kind of bringing imaginary back in. I think. 
Okay, okay. That's interesting. So don't you think? I think that's what yeah. happens. And so it, it really, because don't you think in, in, like in seminar 11, imaginary is not really a factor, mm, I don't no, think. No, no, that's true. No, that's much, That I, I mean, I think that seminar is, I mean, this is the reason why, like, I think you and I are both have told like, like listeners, students, just like people, where do you want to start with, uh, Lacan? I mean, like depending on your, your interest, you know, especially like if someone, when people come to me and they, they, they say that like, you know, they're, they, they, they think they want to be analysts. I say like maybe the first two, you can just start, start with one and two. Those are, those are really good seminars. But if people are interested in like the more, the theoretical side, the, the, um, the like philosophical practice, if you like, um, the seminar 11 is the place to start. And I think that that's yeah. like where the influence of the real is like clearly articulated. And I mean, it is so much about the, the visual field. It's although that is kind of interesting because you, um, I now can no longer remember if you said this before we talked or if you said this during this, po- this podcast, but Lacan thinking about the ego as a bodily image, yeah. uh, is very much, at work in 11, but it's tie to the imaginary is very, very implicit at best. I, I would, or tenuous. I would right? Tenuous. Like, yeah yeah yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, you know, it's interesting about, right, because the whole, th- when he talks about the sardine can that he sees yeah. glimmering, there's no, he never once mentions imaginary, right? No, it's, it's like, true. It's, it's true. kind of <laughs> crazy. And when he talks about looking at the Holbein painting, of the ambassadors, no mention of the fact that it is an image and it's in the imaginary, right? So that's mm-hmm. really, so I think the movement away is really stark. And I think also it connects with what I was saying earlier about this relationship to Sartre and Merleau-Ponty because Miller asks him a question about his evaluation of Merleau-Ponty and he's like, given what you've talked about the gaze, do you want to mm-hmm. maybe take back some of these harsh things you've said about Merleau-Ponty's, you know, focus on the visual and the image and, and mm-hmm. Lacan goes nothing at all. So, <laughs> so it's interesting yeah. that he really, he was in a trajectory away from the image and the focus on the image to a focus on the real as what disrupts the image. And that becomes even yeah. more important than the image for him. Yeah. Yeah. That's a really nice way of putting it. It, it. it is cause it is interesting. Like, um, in, I mean, we went over this in the, um, in, when we did seminar one that like at that time he seems very much to be like influenced by and like trucking with, uh, like Sartre and like Sartre's idea of the gaze is like Lacan genuinely seems taken by it. And then like the notion of the gaze behind, like he, he's very much taken by that. And then he rejects that entirely. And, um, and, and, and I me, 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 I, th- I think we maybe put it this way uh, back then. Is that like he takes the gaze behind and he puts it in front? You right. know, like yeah, it's really like, good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I that, like that. And and and, he, and with no reference in seminar eleven to Sartre, right? I yeah. mean, not even a like. I think he's wrong here. I I, I want to correct it. Just no reference at all. So mm-hmm. I don't know. So I think that is even further evidence for this turn away from an emphasis on the imaginary because I think it is. So it's complicated because is his gaze in the image? I, it's hard to say because it, precisely for what you just said, like the, the leaves rustling behind mm-hmm, mm-hmm. is for Sartre the encounter with the gaze. So it's not exactly, it's almost more like it's symbolic. Right? Yeah, like I was going to say it's in the yeah. non-perceptual field, like it yeah. would follow with, with how we've yeah. been talking about it. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. So anyway, so then, and then, and then 
but then I think it all comes full circle in, in the seminar that we've taken the order of the registers from, which is Seminar 22, Air SE, mm-hmm. the RSI. And I, I think that that, you know, it, it gets it comes back in importance as he gets to the end. So mm-hmm. I don't know what to make of that, except, you know, there, I think that there are people who are invested in certain periods of his thought. And then that's that usually, I think, explains what role the imaginary has in their thought. Mm. Oh, that's really, really nice. Don't I like think, that a lot. I think, I think uh, that's yeah, true. Yeah yeah. yeah, yeah, that's pretty good. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm content to have that serve as quilting point for this, uh, this episode. Like that, that imaginary. I like that a lot. That imaginary functions both, like for readers of Lacan, um, at where, where you place your emphasis as a reader of him is uh, per, perhaps where you place your emphasis relative to the imaginary as the imaginary. Yeah. Yeah. That's pretty good. Which is why I think that if I value those seminars I mentioned in the middle, they like imaginary (laughs) just has no role in those seminars at all. So it's Mm -hmm. interesting. I think it, I mean, I think other people would want to say you can't really do that. You can't take the imaginary out, but I think that's already investing yourself in a certain part of his Mm -hmm. thinking. You know, I think that's, I think that's right. I think it's Hmm. right. Okay. Well, that is the that is the conclusion of a real symbolic imaginary. Real symbolic and imag- sad to leave the three, but we'll. <laughs> I mean, they will never worm t- their. They will. I'm sorry. They, they will worm their way into everything else. I'm, of, of course. That's right, for sure. In our discussion of the different seminars, that's that's definite, definitely true. Uh, and I also, th- I was just thinking of, of the film that really I think shows the imaginary more than any other film. More is, than Shanghai. Well, maybe you're right. Maybe that's our good. <laughs> our, our, that's a, I was th- I was going to go in another direction, but I no, think no, you're right. No, well, no, 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 you you do it. No, no, you do it. We'll, we'll like and um and we'll make them uh, fight it out uh, NCAA tournament style. No, 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 no. I I co- totally defer to you this on this. So so the beginning of the mirror sequence in Lady from Shanghai is really about the imaginary, and I think that whole film actually is about mm. the imaginary. Do, like the the Michael the Wells character constantly is doing what we're saying the imaginary does right he's he's filling in there's all these gaps in his experience and he's filling in and he's filling in incorrectly from the beginning right like he sees rita hayworth being robbed and he fills he thinks like oh like okay what it is is there's a damsel in distress here and i can save her and that's he's misled by that right so i think that i think it's actually the perfect film, not just for the mirror sequence, but for the whole rest of the film, because it's really about the way in which the imaginary isn't just what we see, but it's also the way in which we fill in the coherence of the world with what's missing. I will also make a claim that the imaginary is at work in um, Wells's portrayal of what he thinks an Irish accent sounds like. Very I don't good. think it's very, I don't think it's very, very good. good. <laughs> very good. Although I, it's hard for me to, to, slam wells in terms of sound because do you know that well, he, I, he, I mean, he like he no just i I'm, i mean wherever you're gonna go with this i'm probably there i mean like he just did so much for so much sound right. development but yeah yeah but but so in the trial in the film version of the trial which is a mm-hmm. great film uh he he voiced 10 of the different characters including women mm-hmm. like he didn't have the characters around or the actors around he couldn't afford them to post 
sink anything. So mm. he even did Anthony Perkins plays K, and he even did Perkins on several occasions, and he made a bet with Perkins, I bet you cannot decipher the difference between your own voice and my dubbing of it, and Perkins couldn't do it. And he even did, so female characters, all the other characters. So wow. You, it's really, do, you know, do you know this thing with Chris Nolan? Who He... He did the voice of uh, Joe Pantoliano at the at the end of uh, Memento, and oh my God, I did not know that. Pan, uh, yeah, the, the, the Pantoliano didn't know this. He he, like when he says Lenny, and uh, it's actually Nolan doing Pantoliano, and he like Nolan talks about it. He said, and he references what you just did about about Wells doing it too. And there's this, there's an interview with, um, like, what did you think of, um, of like Christopher Nolan dubbing you and Pantoliano has this very annoyed look in his face. He's like, I, I didn't know he did that. Wow. And, yeah, wow. yeah. Yeah. That's pretty great, Ryan. Yeah. That's pretty great. So, <laughs> so I've always thought there's this connection between Nolan and Wells. So maybe that, maybe Nolan thinks that too. So. Yeah. Well, Wells would have uh, insisted on putting a, a film on the big screen in a, in a pandemic and not releasing it straight to video, I think, too, for the, the to maintain the theater experience. Right. For sure. For sure. For yeah. sure. Yeah. 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 That would also be sacrosanct. <laughs> All right. right. Watch All right. Lady from Shanghai. Watch <laughs> Lady from Shanghai. That's the that's the lesson. Over and out, Ryan. <laughs> Over and out, Todd. <laughs>